I want to welcome everybody to the show. My name is William Myers, and I am the author of the Philadelphia Legal Series and the host of this podcast, Writing Wrongs, on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, I have the, the honor of talking with Lee Goldberg, who is a number one New York Times bestselling author of 30 novels. He is a two-time Edgar Award nominee, a two-time Shawmus Award nominee, TV producer and writer. He's written for Diagnosis Murder, Sequest, Monk. He's the co-creator of the Mystery 101 series of Hallmark movies, and he's an international television consultant. We're going to talk about Lee's career, about writing, and about his book, his latest book, Bone Canyon, which is the sequel to Lost Hills, which features uh, the protagonist, Eve Ronan, who I think is going to become an iconic protagonist. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is a big relief. When I heard a lawyer wanted to talk to me, I was certain it's going to be a deposition. So now I can relax and just be myself and, and don't feel vulnerable without having legal counsel with me. Don't worry about it. Just let me, let me know where you want me to send the bill. Okay. So it, it seems like you, you've had your hand in just about everything. Why don't you start out by telling us how you got into it, how you got into, into TV writing, how you got into novel writing? Well, there's a long story. I'll just tell you a short version. My mother was a uh, feature writer for the Contra Costa Times in Northern California, and my father was the anchor man on KPIX, the uh, CBS affiliate. And he always talked like this. Even in casual conversation, he always talked like he was on camera and had the same insincere smile on his face that I have right now. So television and writing were always integral parts of my life, even growing up. I was never intimidated by either industry and, and found a way to sort of drive a path in the middle. <laughs> worked in TV and, and worked in, in books. I put myself through school as a freelance writer, mm -hmm. um, writing for the Los Angeles Times, American Film, San Francisco Chronicle, Playgirl, anybody who would take my stuff. And because my dad had that anchorman voice, mm -hmm. I was able to fake my voice on phone interviews. So people didn't know I was 17 years old, 16 years old. <laughs> and while I was in college at UCLA, I befriended a professor who wrote thrillers for Pinnacle Books, uh, very Robert Ludlum-like thrillers that were very successful. And they came to him and asked him if he'd write a men's action adventure series. Okay. And he said he wasn't hungry enough, stupid enough, or desperate enough to write a book like that. They had titles like The Executioner, The Destroyer, The Defecator, The Drooler. You found them at finer 7-Elevens and gas stations around the country, particularly in the South. But he said he knew somebody who was, and he, <laughs> he recommended me. And uh, I knew Lee Goldberg wasn't a real action-packed name. So I came up with the pseudonym Ian for Ian Fleming and Ludlow. So I'd be on the shelf next to Robert Ludlum, the biggest selling author in America at the time. And my first book, 357 Vigilante, that came out while I was still a Cobb student, was a huge success. New World Pictures bought the movie rights, hired me to write the script and my career was born. I'm gonna move my head and you can see the original painting for one of those vigilante novels. Very the cool. painting, the upper part, the guy with the gun always stayed the same, but they mm -hmm. repainted the bottom portion to reflect whatever was happening in the, um, in the book. Um, the books came out and did really well, but right when my royalties were due, the publisher went out of business. So I never saw a dime, okay. but it did launch my career and I've been, I've been writing ever since for television and, and books and film. What do you, um, what's more fun for you, writing for TV or writing the novels? 
they're two very different activities. When you write for television, you're prior to the pandemic, you're in a room full of other writers and it's a real energized, competitive, exciting situation. Uh, it can bring out the best or the worst in you, depending on your, your personality, but it, it's great. And uh, the story reflects the talents and, and insights of everybody in the room. And it's a real group effort and you're part of something bigger. Also, when you write for, for television, what you're essentially writing in a screenplay is a blueprint that other professionals are gonna to use to, to apply their craft. Directors, set designers, land, location scouts, actors. So it's, it's, it's not a, a prose document and it leaves a lot of room for, for other input. When you're writing a novel, you are the director, you are the location manager, you are the wardrobe person. You're entirely by yourself. And in a script, all action and character is conveyed through what people say and do. If you don't see it or hear it, it, it doesn't exist. In a book, you've got to supply the entire world. Now, what I like about books is I don't have to worry about the feedback or entertain the feedback of other people or worry about the budget or the shooting schedule or any of those things. But it's also very lonely and I can't turn to anybody for help. And it takes me longer to write a book than it does to write a screenplay. Right. But there, I mean, there are distinct pleasures and drawbacks in both. The money tends to be better, at least immediately in television. There's Writers Guild minimums for an hour long teleplay and all that. It takes some time to be a, a writer, a, an author, and, and you have to do well at it before you're earning anywhere near what you can make in television. Right. So when you're doing research for books, tell me what's the best thing, the most fun thing that you ever got to do doing research for a book? That's hard because I do a lot of fun things. I am a big believer in boots on the ground. And if I'm writing a big international thriller, I will go to the locations I'm writing about. Because I think there's no substitute for walking down the streets, smelling those smells, seeing those details, mm -hmm. talking to the people. It's stuff you can't get from, from Google Earth or watching Rick Steves or Anthony Bourdain or any of the other cheats. I mean, I've had to do that occasionally by guidebooks and things for places I can't go. Mm -hmm. You know, Syria, but uh, you know, otherwise I try to go there. But also for my, my police procedurals, I interview a lot of cops and I go to, because I have friends in law enforcement, I get invited to things that the public is not usually invited to, autopsies, uh, homicide investigator training conferences, interrogation, um, learning how to interrogate, those kind of things. Right. Going to the police academy, firing guns and stuff, uh, doing pit maneuvers. So I, I mean, I've had lots of fun. I've, I've flown for an evening with the helicopter patrol and the LAPD. Oh, very uh, cool. It just gives you insights. The, the danger when you do that kind of research, whether you're flying to distant locations or taking part in a homicide conference or uh, observing an autopsy, is, is the inclination to want to prove you've done all the research. To put on the page all these details so the reader will know you were, you were there. Mm -hmm. and, and it's boring. And all I'm looking for is to find the one key fact, the one piece of reality that I can use to ground my story in some sort of believability and I make up the rest. Mm -hmm. I don't feel in need. And I also believe all the stuff I do for research will inform what my characters say and do. I don't need to show off. There are authors who just go into unbelievable detail about the murder book and you know what color the, the section dividers are and what font they're using and... I mean, it's stuff that doesn't matter, doesn't move the story forward or reveal character. Would you have made a good cop? I'm sorry? Would you have made a good cop? No, no, no. I'm, I'm a terrible liar. Um, 
I'm, I'm fat and slovenly. I couldn't really chase after anybody. I'm a coward. In fact, that question sort of informed my book, True Fiction, which is about a guy who writes thrillers who ends up having to do what his characters would do and, and discovers the, the big difference between making this crap up and having to live it. Right, whose name, by the way, is? Ian Ludlow. Yeah, I love that series. Absolutely love that series. Oh, thank um, you. So let me talk about, let me talk about uh, Eve Ronan and Bone Canyon. Lost Hills was the first, was the first book. Um, and Eve Ronan is the youngest homicide detective in LA County Sheriff's Department. And she has a colorful story for how that happened. And can you share that with us without without a spoiler? No, I signed a non-disclosure agreement with my publisher. Of course I can share it with you. <laughs> Eve Ronan was a, a, a mere deputy and she was off duty riding her bike in, in the Santa Monica Mountains when she saw a Hollywood movie star beating the crap out of his girlfriend. And she basically interceded and took this guy down. But she did it in front of an audience, so to speak, a bunch of people with phones. And her takedown of this Hollywood star who was the lead in the you know, Jason Bourne type movies Right. Went viral. And overnight, she was this media sensation at a time when the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department was besieged with scandal. They needed some positive news. They wanted to keep moving her to the front of the news cycle. So they ended up promoting her to homicide. And it's a job she wants, but frankly, doesn't have the experience or the qualifications for. So she finds herself set up for failure. Her fellow cops don't like her there. Um, she knows in her heart she doesn't have the experience so she's constantly having to prove herself and the media is watching her right so there are high expectations all the way around and she catches in the first uh, book uh, a case that would that would tax even the most experienced homicide detective and while she makes lots of mistakes and makes lots of mistakes in the new book bone canyon she still has an innate skill maybe it's rough Maybe she hasn't learned from experience yet, but she does have the instincts. And despite her own naivete and inexperience, she does manage to do the job. Now, one, one of the things that comes up in Bone Canyon, you know, she's being hounded by her parents who were in the industry to, to, to help create a TV show based around her. Um, what is her view of the industry? Well, she's seen how the industry chews up. I mean, you can't really live in the Los Angeles area and not have some relationship with the entertainment industry. This is a company town. And just about everybody has one or two or three degrees of separation from a television show or a movie. Plus, the entire city is a soundstage. All of our streets, they're shooting on all the time. You, you drive by buildings and you know a hotel that in Woodland Hills has been FBI headquarters, it's been hospitals, it's been in every TV show. So we're living every day, all of us here in LA in a fantasy world. But she's also seen how Hollywood can grind people up and how Hollywood can take advantage of people. So her father was a journeyman television director and, and not a swell guy. And she has seen how he's used people to further his career. And her mother has been sort of on the, the periphery of Hollywood. She's been a Hollywood extra. Those are the people you see in the background walking and talking while the, um, silently walking and talking while the heroes are having their conversation. They're, they're basically set dressing that with a heartbeat. And her mom has been striving to become an actor and, and Eve knows it's never gonna happen. Yeah. So she has a love-hate relationship, not love, she has a hate relationship with Hollywood. On the other hand, her deaf manipulation of the media got her the job she has now. So as much as she likes to pretend 
that she doesn't like the media attention and that she's not using it, she is using it. She is a hypocrite. And I think that tension is some of the fun of the book, that she's not the perfect person that she likes to see herself as. And she does feel a certain family responsibility. A lot of people are throwing money at her and opportunities at her that her family could really use. Yeah. So it's, it's a it's a push-pull. And then there's the 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 irony that that Hollywood has come and optioned my Eve Ronan novels. So you know, like I could be in a situation where there's an Eve Ronan TV series in reality at the same time I'm dealing with the fictional Eve Ronan TV series of my books. I hope that's the case because I really do like the character and I like the books. So set the stage for Bone Canyon. What What's the inciting incident? What's the crime that Eve sets about to solve? Well, the inciting incident is right behind you is wallpaper, a massive wildfire that moved through Los Angeles and scorched hundreds of thousands of acres and a bunch of shrubs and foliage that haven't burned in decades. And by wiping the hills clean, have revealed a lot of secrets, a lot of bodies, a lot of cars, a lot of things that that uh, nobody was expecting. And and Eve is sort of on the detail that's that's examining all the human bones that are being found in the canyons. Uh, in the, by the way, this, I'm not make that up. That, that actually happened after the wildfire. Right. They found amazing things that have been executed. They found a couple that disappeared years ago on their way back from LAX. They mm -hmm. found a woman's body, a woman who wandered off from a museum a few years ago. She had Alzheimer's, found her body down there. I mean, they found amazing things, a plane wreckage. They're trying to figure out if it was an actual plane or, or a hull left over from a movie shoot. I mean, it's just, it, it's fascinating. So that's, it's, it, what happens is some bones are found mm -hmm. of a woman who disappeared a few years ago. And Eve starts looking into her disappearance and uncovers what may be a, a conspiracy within the sheriff's department, once again, pitting her against her own. Right, and I know that the her fellow sheriffs, because because of how she got the job and how inexperienced she is, they all have a hostility toward her, you know, from the start, and she has to fight against that. Who are some of the who are some of her allies in this? She has a partner named Duncan Pavone, who's only a few weeks away from retirement. Who's a walking cliche. I mean, he's waiting to catch a bullet, right. <laughs> but you know, he initially is as skeptical about her as everybody else but he's also leaving so he doesn't give a damn he understands why he was paired up with this woman nobody wants to be with because he's on his way out the door anyway but after their first case together he realizes she really has something she has some talent and he becomes sort of a, a father figure to her trying to impart some wisdom basically trying to get her to relax calm down find some friends don't be such a loner don't be so relentless he he realizes she's a to use a cliche a diamond in the rough and he sort of runs interference for her. And she has a interesting symbiotic relationship with the sheriff who's using her for his own ends and she's using him. Neither one of them trust each other. And it's, a, it's an interesting relationship. Right. What I don't wanna do, well, the way these books camp out was I wanted to write a police procedural, but they've been done to death. I'm just so tired of the middle-aged cop who's an alcoholic or his family was a, was murdered by serial killers or he's got a serial killer in his past. His, his boss hates him. He's, you know, he's a brilliant detective, but no one seems to understand him. I'm just tired of it. So I, I came up with a character I thought would be very different, who's young in a job she doesn't deserve, who doesn't have all the answers, who has a family, who doesn't have a dark past, who doesn't have a serial killer in her history, you know, who hasn't got a, a alcoholism or, or, or some other addiction. Uh, 
that it'll be something fresh. And also Los Angeles has been written about to death. I mean, what am I going to say that Joseph Wamba or Michael Connolly and Robert Craze and Raymond Chandler haven't said better? So I found a corner of Los Angeles that hasn't been written about the Lost Hills jurisdiction of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, sort of an island within urban Los Angeles that embodies so many interesting social and cultural and, and, and economic strata. It's, it's really a world, a planet unto itself, rife with conflict. And I could write about it, hopefully for a dozen books, depending on how well my next one does. Okay, are you, are you plotting, I guess, are you plotting the third book or plotting the fourth book and the third book is already- The third book comes out in October. It's called Gated Prey and is already available for pre-order pre from Amazon. Picks up only a couple weeks after Bone Canyon. And I don't know yet whether it'll be a fourth book. I have to wait and see whether Amazon Publishing wants to throw a giant suitcase of money at me <laughs> to another <Yeah>. book. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I want to earn what you're earning. I, I want to be as powerful and influential as you are. Well, I, I want to be as powerful and influential as, as I am. <laughs> no. So in the, in the book, and I, have to, and I have to bring this up, the, the thing that I love about all your books is your sense of humor um, comes out in all the books. And in this book, I know you make, you make a reference to something that was in the true fiction book, um, the, the series Hollywood and the Vine, yeah. right? half man, half vine, all cop. Um, and one of the, the characters in Bone Canyon is the producer of the horror classic Bloodbath Day Camp for Girls. Do you, do you, do you have to fight yourself because I, I know you're a funny person. I know you have a great sense of humor. Do you have to fight yourself not to put in all the funny lines that, that you'll want to? I'm aware of the tone I want to strike in each book that I, that I write. Mm -hmm. The Eve Ronan books are police procedurals. However, I'm a firm believer that there is humor in all aspects of life. I don't believe a novel that is humorless. There are some best-selling crime novels without a single moment to smile about. And I just don't think that's real. I know in my own life where I've had some horrible tragedies, just like everybody watching now, there's always also been some humor. There's always also been some levity, even in the midst of the worst, there's been some humor. Um, I mean, I'll give you an example from, from my own life. Um, my mom was very ill. She was dying. Uh, the doctor said, you better get your family here right away because you know, she has a do not resuscitate order or no you know, extreme measures. So once we pull off this you know, breathing machine, she's, she's done. So I got all the family together. We're all around her bed. They remove the device and she passes away very peacefully. The, um, what do you call the, the chaplain at the hospital comes in and he says, uh, would you like me to say a few words for your mother? But we are not a religious family and we're Jewish, but my wife, my wife, my sister, that's an interesting Freudian slip. My <laughs> sister likes to hedge bets with the, with the man upstairs. So she said, sure, you know, give, us, give us a prayer. So he came out and he, he, he did his thing. He said, you know, his stuff and it was sweet and fine. And when he was done, he said, how was that? And my sister said, it was very nice. Thank you. And he goes, yes, 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 yes. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I've been on sabbatical for a year. This is my first death. Since I got back, I thought maybe I lost my mojo, but I've still got it. You've been terrific. Sorry for your loss, but woo. And he walked out. Oh, my God. And we just started laughing. Mom would have loved it. Loved it. And my brother, who's a writer as well, a novelist as well, he raised his hand and said, I have dibs on this. 
<laughs> to write. And the thing is, if we had not been there to witness it, right, right, we wouldn't have believed it. I mean, it was so inappropriate, but it's also hilariously funny at one of the saddest times of our lives. And I mean, I, I, I could I'll give you another example. I had a bad accident, another hospital story, but I had a bad accident a few years ago and broke both of my arms. One of them very severely ended up having multiple surgeries, but um, I'm in the emergency room and, and they informed my wife that I have two broken arms and I'm not gonna be able to do anything for a while. And my wife goes, okay. Doctor says, I don't think you understand. <laughs> Your husband has two broken arms. It'd be like being in a straitjacket. He's yeah. not gonna be able to do anything. Just, okay. He's like, still don't think you're getting it. Any, anything you could do with your hands and arms, he's not going to be able to do yeah. for a while. Uh -huh. Long silence. <laughs> My <laughs> wife says, would it be possible for you to put him on a liquid diet? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm there, y'all bloody. And I'm laughing. The doctor's laughing. But you see, I believe in humor that comes from character and situation, not just giving one-liners. And so in the course of Bone Canyon, I, I believe I have humor there where it's appropriate, where it arises out of character, not a cheap shot. It's not black humor about people's loss and death and the kind of stuff that uh, I, it's inappropriate. I see in other books where their idea of humor is to make light of a horrible situation at the worst possible time. Um, I just believe that everybody's life has humor in it every single day, good or bad. And I try to reflect that in, in Bone Canyon. True Fiction, my my thriller about the writer who writes thrillers and becomes one, that, that takes place in a world of, that I like to call heightened reality. So I have broader characters, right. more jokes, but there's still a level of reality to it um, so that you buy into it. Another good example is I, I worked for years on the TV show Monk. Right. By a detective with an obsessive compulsive disorder. I also wrote 15 Monk novels. And the key to that character, the key to why it worked, because it easily could have become Inspector Cluzo or Maxwell Smart. But right. the reason it didn't is because he had an innate sadness, an innate tragedy. Mm -hmm. you, you really cared about this man. He wasn't a cartoon character. So mm -hmm. it was humor, but also a lot of sentimentality and heartbreak and loss. So the humor became real as a reflection of his difficulty dealing with a world that terrified him, but that he had to confront anyway and was courageously doing. And at the same time was bringing out his masterful abilities at, at, at deduction and, and, and being able to see details and solve crimes that that his greatest weakness is also his greatest strength. So by having that underlying level of truth and never losing the humanity of the character, you could get away with all that humor. It never became slapstick. Right. So Eve, let me get back to Eve Ronan then. What do you think Eve Ronan's core weakness is if she has one? What do you think her core strength is? Her core strength is also her core weakness, and that's her tenacity, her relentless devotion to doing her job. It gives her a tunnel vision. It's also self-destructive. Once she gets on a case, everything else goes by the wayside, and you might be able to pull that off when you're in your early 20s, but it's going to eat you alive, but also blinds her to things that are right in front of her. She makes some big mistakes, and there's a human cost in, in Bone Canyon. Right. And I wanted to keep making mistakes, to be honest with you. I think for me, the fun is in having a character who's not perfect. She's not Harry Bosch or John Rebus or these cops who know how good they are and everybody else just doesn't understand how good they are. She doesn't have that experience to draw back on, to draw upon. And, and she knows her successes have also come with a lot of luck. Yet she does have a keen eye for detail 
And she does see things that other people don't see by virtue of her lack of experience. She doesn't, she's not burdened by what cops might call their, their situational common sense. She right. comes into it fresh. She's a virgin in every crime scene. So I've heard authors say that when they sit down and they write a character, sometimes they have an idea in their mind of who the character is, but as they're writing the character, the, the character will rebel a little bit and say things or think things different than the writer would have anticipated when they started. Does that happen with you? Did it happen with Eve Ronan or other characters? It has happened with me. Oddly though, it hasn't happened with Eve Ronan. She's, she came to me sort of fully formed and she doesn't surprise me all that much in terms of when I'm writing or she starts doing and saying things I wasn't expecting. Right. It happens to me all the time with other characters. It happened to me even when I was writing Monk. I'd be surprised by some of the reactions that would come out. And, and, and there was a character in true fiction that I had intended to continue, but I liked him so much that that, that character became a regular part of the, you know, a much bigger part of the book than I had intended and even showed up in, in the third book in the series in a big way. So I, I keep my, my mind open to opportunity when I, I see something that's working and I'll, I, I'm a big believer in, in outlining your books. And mm -hmm. I always start writing with outline. In fact, here is the outline and research for the book I'm writing now. That doesn't mean I'm not going to deviate from it, but at least I have it, you know, right here. I know where I'm going, but I'm willing to change. And my, my outline evolves as I'm writing my books. I call my outlines living outlines because I finish them about two or three weeks before I finish the book. Okay. So I'm always adjusting the outline to take into account changes I've made while I'm writing. Um, I've had people I wanted to have die, they were supposed to die that didn't die. And right. that, but I always know who done it. I always know what the clues are that's going to, when I'm writing a mystery, I'm not making that up. And I think most of the time when I'm reading a book where an author has made up as he or she is going along, I can tell. I can see the treading water. I can see the pieces that don't fit. I can see the struggle at the end to have things make sense. Yeah. And I don't appreciate it. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. How much of your how much of your dialogue is like when you when you decide I'm going to write a scene, it's going to have these two characters. Here's what they're going to talk about. And then you start actually writing the dialogue. How much of what comes out is organic as though you were really two people having a conversation? And all how of it. Is, all of it? All of it. All I know going into a scene like that is what the conflict is, how these two people have a different point of view on what's going on or different goals they want to achieve. Right. I know what my hero wants to achieve. And if it's a mystery, I know what piece of information I want to come out as a result of this exchange or what new direction in the investigation I want to come out of the exchange. But how I get there often surprises me. And sometimes I won't like what I've done and I'll trash it and go back and start again. Uh, I was doing that last night, in fact. I, uh, I didn't like what I wrote and I threw it out and started over again with the characters, had them come at it from a different direction. Um, and sometimes I'm just, sometimes I'll surprise myself. I'll have them talking and I'll realize I've, I've hit some gold and change what I had in mind for that scene, that, that I found a new conflict or a new point of view, or even another way to get at that clue that maybe shouldn't come in this scene, but a different scene, where I could learn something else that I had planned later on, learn it here instead. You, know, it, you have to be open to those kind of organic um, changes. 
I can tell talking with you that you still love it, that you're still fully engaged in it. Oh, have I got you fooled. You know? I, a, I just put in a job application at Arby's because I, my talent <laughs> has disappeared, whatever little I had. The book I'm writing now is just kicking my butt. I mean, I just. Can you tell us what kind of book, what kind of book it is? Um, I don't want to give away too much, but it's it's an, a challenge for me. It's uh, unlike anything I've written before. It's a part police procedural, part historical, and the two novels come together, or the two timelines come together on a case. And I'm very comfortable with the police procedural part, but the historical part, um, and all the research I've had to do, has really been difficult. Plus, figuring out when to shift back and forth, you know, dramatically, to keep, and not to have my my readers ahead of my characters right. um it's just driving me crazy um i'm hoping amazon orders my fourth eve ronin book so i could set this aside and write something <laughs> i'm much more comfortable with yeah how long does it typically take you to write a novel five months five months typically i write two books a year um five months for each book and then i have a month for relaxing and and outlining you know the next book and doing whatever research is necessary though i do the research ongoing while i'm writing the book right um what's nice about the eve ronan novels is they take place in the neighborhood where i live so i don't have to do that much research yeah. uh, beyond getting in my car and driving around i can do a lot of it over the like the last book i wrote gated prey was during the pandemic i did all my research in zoom conversations mm -hmm. like this or over the phone or just got in my car and or, or hiked around or whatever um but ordinarily, like like this uh, historical novel, um, I had to wait till things loosened up a little bit with the pandemic to go out and do some of the research uh, some ways away from where I live. Right. Um, that was harder. I bet. So um, let me let me conclude with this. Do you do you want to give anyone a shout out? Uh, give anyone a shout out? You want to give anyone a shout out? Say thank you to anyone. No, not really. <laughs> Unless you're giving me an award, you have an Oscar for me, an Edgar. You know, I mean, I've got no one to thank for this interview. Thank you for not grilling me and making me cry. I mean, there are some people who've interviewed me who just reduced me to psychological mush. You know, probing my relationship with my family and my own insecurities and my you know utter falsehoods in life. You know, they they they'll bring people from my past and confront me with my lies. It's just horrible. This has been much easier. No, this is you're you're a fa you're a favorable witness. Some throwing you softballs, okay? Ah, okay. Anyway, so let me conclude. This is William Myers, and you're listening or you're watching Writing Wrongs on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I've been talking to Lee Goldberg about Bone Canyon and his career as a writer and a TV writer and a TV producer, and I've had a great time doing it. Lee, do you want to um, offer up your social media? Yeah, I'm very, very hard to find on social media. I'm at LeeGoldberg.com and I'm at Lee Goldberg on Twitter and I'm at Lee Goldberg on Facebook. The only place I'm not at is William Myers. There you go. And that's where I am. You can look me up at www. William L. Myers Jr. Um, Lee, thank you. Thank you for this conversation. My I had, pleasure. I had a great time.